This is the My Bloody Hell podcast, the podcast where we share stories about perimenopause. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to episode number nine of the My Bloody Hell podcast. I'm your host, Lori L. Tharps. I'm a journalist, an author, an educator, a mother of three, a recent expat to the south of Spain, and a card-carrying member of Team Perimenopause. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome, and I hope you enjoy the show. If you're returning after listening to last week's episode or some of our other episodes, thank you so much for coming back. I'm just glad everybody's here, and I hope everybody listening walks away from this podcast feeling a little bit more informed and a little bit more inspired about their menopause journey. On today's episode, I'm putting on my professor's hat again for a solo episode to talk about how and why race, ethnicity, and culture impact how we experience our menopause journey. You know, it's not just about age and hormones. As a journalist and an author, I've spent my entire career writing about things like racism, identity politics, and social justice issues. And so bringing that lens to the menopause space is something I had to do. Not only because I find it fascinating, because it is, but also because understanding how your ethnic background influences your menopause experience makes it easier to manage and anticipate the changes and symptoms that are part of this transition phase. So buckle up buttercups and get ready to learn. This is going to be a good one. But before we get to our lesson, I have to pause to thank our sponsors. Today's episode is sponsored by Yum Day. And here's what you should know about this awesome company that was founded by a fellow woman of color. Yum Day is an online snack emporium that prioritizes food and beverage brands led by women and people of color, which we over here at My Buddy Hell think is very cool. Now, since the holidays are just around the corner, this is the perfect time to take a look at Yum Day. You could do all of your holiday shopping on their website. You could get everyone on your list a subscription box from Yum Day. And you know, they have delicious options for all of your foodie friends, even the ones with restricted diets. You can order a box full of snacks that are all gluten-free or snacks that are vegan. Basically, when you order one of Yum Day snack boxes, they curate a box full of unique and delicious snacks from all over the world and deliver them right to your door or to the door of whoever you sent it to. You can send a box for a one-time gift or you can send one every month or for six months or even a year. Anybody who receives a gift like that is going to be impressed. So make your holidays a little bit more delicious and a little bit easier on yourself by shopping at yumday.co. And if you use our promo code MBHPOD15, you get 15% off when you shop. And remember, that's yumday.co. The link is in the show notes. Okay, so we're gonna go from multicultural snacks to multicultural menopause. All right, class, where do we begin with this lesson? All right, so before I ran away to Spain earlier this year to restart my life as an expat and the Oprah of menopause, I had a long career as a professor of journalism at Temple University, 
And every time I taught a new class, I would introduce myself and share my backstory as a professional journalist so my students would understand that I came by my knowledge legitimately. You know, I wanted them to know that what I was teaching wasn't based just on what I'd learned from textbooks and classroom learning, but from actually working for 15 years as a professional journalist. And that's kind of how I want to start this lesson today. I want to give you a little professional backstory so you understand why I am so obsessed with examining menopause through a multicultural lens and why throughout this podcast and the community that I'm building, it's so important for me to have a multicultural group. So my multicultural backstory begins with my personal life. My life has always been a multicultural one. My first and earliest friendships were with people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds than myself, despite growing up in a very white environment, I still managed to find all the colorful little friends that I could. And my friendships were racially diverse, religiously diverse. And that really extended from, you know, my youngest years, throughout my school years, even through college. I'm married to a Spanish man. Therefore, my family life has extended to be very multicultural, multilingual. Um, And just because of this, because of my personal interactions and personal relationships, I've just been drawn to diversity and multiculturalism in pretty much everything I do as a human. Now, professionally, my first book was called Hair Story, Untangling the Roots of Black Hair in America, which is a social cultural history of black people and their hair from 15th century Africa to modern times. Now, writing that book totally drew me into this world where history, culture, race, and racism intersect. And writing and researching about black hair politics and culture over the last 20 years really taught me something about how race and racism, sexism, politics, economics, and the whole host of other societal issues can be filtered down to something as seemingly insignificant as hair or menopause. My Fourth book was called Same Family, Different Colors, Confronting Colorism in America's Diverse Families. That book really was an exploration of colorism. And colorism is the um, when people discriminate against others based on the color of their skin, irrespective of race. So colorism is a word and a concept that a lot of people have never heard of. In fact, Many dictionaries don't even recognize that it is an actual word. In fact, I'm writing the script for this episode. It is underlined as a misspelling. So imagine writing an entire book and talking to people and speaking about it, writing essays about colorism when the word doesn't even exist. It really taught me how hard it is to teach people about something that they don't have a word for, that there's no language around. FYI. Did you know that the word perimenopause isn't recognized as a word on most digital platforms? So I'm kind of ready and primed for this conversation. And finally, I am a self-proclaimed diversity diva. So despite the fact that the word diversity is completely overused and underappreciated, I will stake my fortune, small as it may be, on the fact that diversity will save us. I believe that diversity is the only way that we as a human species are going to survive the world that we're living in right now. 
We need diverse opinions. We need diverse people. We need diverse solutions to solve our most pressing problems. So throughout 2020, when the whole world was trying to stop being racist, I was giving speeches and lectures all across the country in classrooms and boardrooms, and my message was always the same. Diversity and inclusion is the answer. Because all research shows that increased diversity leads to increased productivity in all levels of business and society. So even if we are talking about the menopause space, where we're desperately seeking solutions for our symptoms and trying to find new ways to recast menopause, guess what? Diversity is the way it's going to happen. We need to surround ourselves with diverse people from diverse cultures and backgrounds to figure out how to get from where we are today to a better place where menopause isn't so debilitating and still such a taboo topic. Okay, so now you know my bona fides of being a multicultural junkie, diversity diva, whatever you want to call it. Um, I've spent a lifetime, a professional lifetime, I should say, talking about these issues that feel very personal, but can still be a conduit to discussing these bigger issues of race, culture, and identity. And now I get to do the same thing that I did with black hair and with colorism, but through the lens of looking at menopause. So let's get to it. How does race and culture and identity impact how a woman experiences menopause? Um, so the information I'm sharing today, much of it is coming from a study that is known as the SWAN study. SWAN is an acronym for the study of women's health across the nation, the nation being the United States. And it, this study was designed to examine the health of women during their midlife years. And it was actually started way back in 1994, and it's still running today. So it's a longitudinal study that is, you know, continuously looking how women between the ages of 40 and 55 are experiencing um, symptoms associated with menopause, like hot flashes, night sweats, difficulty sleeping, forgetfulness, urine leakage, vaginal dryness, joint stiffness and soreness, and increased heart rate. Now, one of the reasons why the SWAN study is so significant is because Previously, most of the research that was done on midlife women as it related to menopause was really done only on white women. And this SWAN study did a much better job of finding women of diverse ethnic backgrounds. In fact, their survey includes more than 16,000 women of African-American, Caucasian, Latina, like broken down within that community, Mexican, Dominican, Cuban, and a host of others, uh, Native American women, Asian American women, and within the Asian American community also broken down into multiple different ethnic groups. So again, a lot of the research and information I'm sharing today is coming from that study. So what I want to start with are how are the ways that you will see a difference in how women experience menopause based on their race and ethnicity. And the, the major differences can be broken down into three categories. The age of onset, the duration and intensity and type of symptoms, and the perception of, of menopause in general. So the first kind of difference that we will see relating to menopause as um, impacted by race and culture is the age of onset. So it has been shown that Black, Asian, and Latina women, on average, begin menopause earlier than white women. 
Hmm, that's interesting. Apparently, white women's average age to hit menopause, remember menopause is the day when you have gone 12 months without a period. Um, So white women, their average age of hitting menopause was 51.4 years old. Latina women experienced menopause, actually hitting menopause 1.7 years earlier than white women. Chinese women were 1.2 years earlier than white women. And black women were also 1.2 years earlier, the full one year earlier than white women in terms of hitting menopause, okay? And so those numbers also correlate to as would be expected for perimenopause also. So women, Black women, Asian women, and Latina women will start um, their perimenopause experience before white women as well. Now, the next category, as I mentioned, was talking about the duration and intensity and the type of symptoms that women experience is also affected by their race and ethnicity. So in general, Black women in the United States have the longest duration of perimenopausal symptoms, specifically hot flashes. So Black women would have the longest time suffering from hot flashes. Hispanic or Latina women would have the second longest duration, followed by Caucasian women. And then Chinese women, followed by Japanese women, had the least longest duration of Uh, symptoms like hot flashes. So apparently these numbers, these generalizations about how long women experience these menopausal symptoms, it seems not just for hot flashes, but other physical symptoms of perimenopause as well seem to be the most intense for Black women, Latina women, and Asian women, broken down in Chinese, Japanese, Korean, East Asian women particularly are the majority of women in this study, but the Asian women tend to have the shortest and least intense experience of perimenopausal symptoms. One interesting fact that was quite surprising for me to hear was that African-American women who were more slender and not suffering from obesity tended to start perimenopause earlier and their perimenopausal symptoms would last longer than Black women who were obese or overweight. So maybe we should stop exercising Black women. I'm just kidding. Do not listen to me on that. The um, research is saying that women who were more had a more slender and more fit did have black women, only black women tended to have earlier perimenopausal symptoms that lasted longer. Again, this is a study. This is not the end all be all. Please don't use this as a reason to not exercise. Um, It's just an interesting fact um, or interesting finding. I don't want to say fact. It's a finding. So what are those numbers like? This is kind of scary, but (laughs) hot flashes based on race and ethnicity, it seems that the average duration of menopause-related hot flashes and night sweats, so for white women, hot flashes and night sweats during the menopausal years or perimenopausal years lasted for about six and a half years. Meanwhile, Latino women experienced hot flashes and night sweats for 8.9 years. 
and Black women, my fellow sisters, experienced hot flashes and night sweats for 10 years. (laughs) 10 years, people. And interestingly, Chinese American women only experienced hot flashes and night sweats for 5.4 years. And Japanese American women had them for only 4.8 years. So we go from a low of 4.8 years for Japanese women to a high of 10 years for Black women. Now, there's like a, a caveat here that Native American women had more hat flashes than any other ethnic group in their perimenopausal years between their 30s and 40s prior to hitting menopause. But unfortunately, as is the case with so many of our research studies in the United States, there was not enough follow-up on Native American women through menopause and a little bit beyond. However, based on the data that they did have, it was surmised that Native American women may have the very worst of the worst menopausal experiences just based on, you know, how long they are suffering with the symptoms and how early they begin to feel them. All right. So we know, again, that the onset of menopause and perimenopause seems to start earlier in women of color. We know that perimenopausal and menopausal hot flashes and night sweats seem to be the worst in Native American women, followed by Black women, um, Latino women, white women, and Chinese and Japanese women seem to have the least intense experiences with hot flashes and night sweats. So those are interesting facts. And Sorry, I said facts again. Those are interesting findings, not facts, findings. But it's not just night sweats and hot flashes. Latina women were found to have more complaints of problematic vaginal symptoms like vaginal dryness and painful sex. It is found that Asian women seem to, like we said before, experience less impactful like hot flashes and night sweats. And the symptoms that they complained of the most, which aren't as common in other groups, were muscle and joint aches and pains. And just to be clear, and I've kind of mentioned this already, but just to be clear that within these different ethnic groups, when we say Asian Americans or Latinas, there's so much variety and diversity within those groups. And these uh, studies noted differences. There were differences in how Mexican, Puerto Rican, and Dominican women, for example, experienced menopause versus, you know, some other uh, maybe uh, South American-specific women And within the Asian American community as well, there were differences between how Indonesian women experience something versus Chinese women versus Japanese women. So when we talk about how race and culture and ethnicity impacts our menopausal experiences, we have to be clear that we're not even talking generally. We're talking even on a much more uh, micro-specific level that race, ethnicity, and culture are all going to impact how women experience menopause and perimenopause. So the question then becomes, are these differences biological, cultural, or something else? Like, what is the reason? Like, how do we explain these differences? Is it something in our DNA? Is it something in what we're eating? Like, what accounts for these changes? 
So research shows us, so this is, again, I'm not the answer. I don't know everything, but these are some of the things that we know are what's causing these different experiences. So when we say that, oh, Black women experience hot flashes for 10 years, whereas white women only for six years, you know, what causes that? Um, Or that Asian women experience less severe symptoms, what causes that? Again, Here's a few things that we know can make a difference that are associated with these different ethnic and racial groups, but it has nothing to do with biology. It's more cultural. So one, we know that in societies where age is more revered and older women are considered wiser and better, like they get better with age, like fine wine. You know, we say it as a joke in the United States, but there are societies where age is not a bad thing. And an older woman is considered a good, is a great place to be. Menopausal symptoms are significantly less bothersome in those cultures. So just the way that society thinks about aging can make your menopause symptoms less bothersome. And likewise, where getting older is not a good thing, where getting older is seen as a detriment or a flaw, women experience more devastating and debilitating menopausal symptoms. So think about that. Just the way a culture conceptualizes age is going to impact how women actually experience both the physical and psychological experiences as part of their perimenopause and menopausal experiences. Another cultural impact or influence that's going to impact how women experience perimenopause is that we know, generally speaking, that racism and poverty, which unfortunately more people of color experience, can actually lead to the experience of menopause being more severe. So scientists say, or I shouldn't say they say, they've proven that racism and poverty actually impact the body and all of its systems. They literally see more wear and tear. I'm using layman's terms. There's more technical terms for it, but they see more wear and tear on the body and all of its systems from reproductive to digestive systems as a result of racism and poverty. So that wear and tear is causing the disparity in menopause outcomes. So if your body's been fighting the trauma of racism and or poverty over the years, then it is par for the course that you're going to have more inflammation or more stressors on your systems that then therefore are going to make, you know, hot flashes, night sweats, forgetfulness, all of these other things are going to be felt more intensely because your body's basically just more worn down. It's that simple. So racism and poverty creates trauma, creates wear and tear in the body, which then therefore creates a more significant and painful Uh, menopause experience. And unfortunately, in the country of the United States of America, people of color more often experience the trauma of racism and poverty. Okay. Number three, the way that menopause is conceptualized is going to impact how women experience menopause. Now, we already talked about how If a culture appreciates aging and honors those who are getting older, we already talked about how that can make 
a woman have a better menopausal experience. Well, it's also true that women in countries where menopause itself as a concept is thought of in a more positive light, those women experience a less severe menopausal symptoms. And I'm going to give you an example. So in many Asian countries, the concept of menopause is thought of as just a natural part of the aging process. So there was a study done um, in five different Asian countries, including Indonesia, China, Japan, and I'm forgetting the other two countries, but over a thousand women were interviewed and the vast majority of them said that you know, the kind of negative things that occurred as a result of aging that are a part of menopause, for example, the decreased libido, the decreased sexual desire, that it didn't impact their sense of self or their self-confidence. And over 90% of them said it was a normal part of aging, which then explained why they they did not have as bad of a experience, like their symptoms were less severe because of the way they just conceptualized menopause in general. In fact, the word for menopause in Chinese is translated as the second spring. So even just the way we conceptualize menopause can impact how we experience it, both, again, physically and emotionally and mentally. Now, that same study done in those five different Asian countries also found that one of the reasons menopause was thought of in a positive light is because the women in this study were saying that that uh, menopause was looked at as a really great thing because it was it meant that a woman no longer had to bear the discomfort of menstruation. It's like no more periods. Why are we not celebrating? Why are we looking at this as something negative? It's totally positive. So in other words, we have mindset. I mean, that's kind of just mindset based on cultural conception, right? Like how you are conceiving of or how you're conceptualizing menopause. It's a great thing. It's no more periods. So that also has come to bear on how you are going to experience menopause. Next, diet. So diet is a part of culture and it has been suggested, although not conclusively proven, that Many East Asian women experience less severe menopause symptoms because their diet is rich in vegetable-based proteins, including soy. Now, again, this has not been conclusively proven, but it has been suggested through many studies that that could be one of the reasons that um, Asian American women experience less severe, particularly hot flashes and night sweats. So diet is a part of culture. And it also is one of the things that is obviously going to impact how different ethnic and cultural groups experience menopause. And finally, what I think is very interesting is that this is a fact that suggests that a person's surrounding culture is going to impact how they view menopause and then that is going to impact how they experience menopause, you know, their symptoms. So it was also studied the difference between Asian women living in Asia versus Asian women living in the U.S. And sure enough, Asian women living in the U.S. viewed menopause less positively than Asian women in Asia itself and also experienced um, their symptoms were worse in the U.S. than they were in their home countries. So again, 
I think this proves that we're not talking about biology. We're talking more about culture and that culture is going to really be the driving force of these different experiences, why certain ethnic groups have more or less severe symptoms of perimenopause and menopause. The other thing is, again, I think I think it's pretty clear that we're not really talking about biological differences, although there are some things that people are looking at, you know, could have some biological basis. But almost everything we're talking about right now is really more about culture and environment, right? And what the other part of this is, when we're talking about how race and ethnicity and culture impact how we experience menopause and perimenopause, researchers and doctors know that in addition to our race and our cultural and ethnic backgrounds, there are a lot of other things that are going to impact how you experience perimenopause and menopause. So there's a long list of of factors that can shift your experience from positive to negative, from severe to less severe. And those factors include, this is not an exhaustive list, but it's a pretty long one. So whatever age you were when you had your first full-term pregnancy, whether you took birth control pills and how long you took them. Interestingly, if you are a smoker, smoking is one of the most significant environmental influences known for accelerating the age at menopause. So you don't want to be a smoker if you it's and apparently it's never too late to stop. You can, I don't know, say reverse the effects, but you can do yourself a favor and not smoke. Um, the age you were at your first period. Obviously we talked about poverty. So Women of higher income and educational levels tend to have menopause later in life, but not necessarily have fewer symptoms. But again, these are additional factors that are not specific to race and ethnicity. So all of these things are, you know, things to consider as well that might impact how you're going to experience perimenopause and menopause, your marital status, where you were born, employment status, your overall health, what medications you use. Interestingly, if you've had a hysterectomy, that seems like a big fat duh, but Ironically, women who have had full hysterectomies where the removal of the uterus and the ovaries put completely removed, they actually have more prolonged and more severe menopausal symptoms. Now, the last factor that has nothing to do with your race or your ethnic background but does impact how you experience menopause, religion. Yes, apparently studies have shown that people who have a strong religious faith or spirituality apparently have less severe menopausal symptoms. (laughs) Hello, Jesus, right? Um, Holy Spirit, activate, okay? Um, I'm not making fun of the Christian people at all. This is for all religions and it's religious faith or spirituality, but apparently that can make a difference. I don't know exactly how. I'm gonna look into that. Maybe I'll do another episode. But the point is, these are all factors that will impact and influence how we experience perimenopause and menopause. And so we really do have to take an intersectional approach to thinking about how we conceptualize menopause, how we treat perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. So yes, race, culture, and ethnicity matter, but so do class and religion and environmental factors and did you smoke or are you a smoker? So where does that lead us and what do we do with all this information? This is the final point wrapping it all up. So 
we know that, like just mentioned, all these extra factors that can impact how we experience menopause and perimenopause. But we started out with saying that the fact is that Black women, Latina women, Asian women, women of color, Native women experience perimenopause, start perimenopause sooner than white women. And we know that they have a lot of Black, a lot of women of color, excuse me, Black and other women of color tend to have more severe symptoms than white women also, for example. So Regardless of all the other additional factors that I just read, we know for a fact that those are the statistics. So why does this matter? What do we need to know this for? It's not just a fun fact. It matters because it comes down to our health, right? If you are a person who is a woman of color and your perimenopausal symptoms are starting earlier or you hit menopause earlier, what that means is that you will have the biological effects of menopause earlier. So even though there are, you know, multiple ways that people can conceptualize menopause, it's a second spring, it's a new beginning. The fact of the matter is we are aging. And the fact of the matter is menopause does mean that things are changing in our bodies. And we know that those changes, like the decrease of estrogen, the decrease of testosterone, the decrease of progesterone, um, that those decreasing hormonal levels lead to our bone density declining. It leads to an increase of fat mass in our body growing. It leads to a decrease in muscle mass. It leads to an increase in cholesterol because, you know, estrogen particularly has a part in keeping all of those things in order. And if we don't have as much estrogen anymore, all of those things are declining. Therefore, If a woman is experiencing perimenopause and menopause sooner, then that means she is at a greater risk for things like osteoporosis and heart disease and falling and breaking a hip in her 40s instead of, you know, later when people think, oh, you know, older people have those things to worry about. So women of color, if they are experiencing these things earlier in life, then they should be having a different conversation with their healthcare providers. It means they should be having different talks with themselves about how they're taking care of themselves, what kind of supplements they're taking, et cetera. So um, oh, and even the the um, types of medical tests that they're taking. And the sad fact is that um, a lot of times our healthcare providers are, you know, they're not trained very well in general for taking care of menopausal, perimenopausal women. In fact, the AARP did a report and said that just 20% of the OBGYN residency programs in the United States provide any kind of actual menopause training. Just 20%. That means 80% of the OBGYNs in the United States have no menopausal training. So we already know that we are receiving less than stellar care from the medical community about what they know about treating menopausal women. So if on top of that, we are women of color, for example, then we really have to take our health in our own hands and really be aware of what could be possibly happening in our lives because, you know, the medical establishment might not realize that as a woman of color, we are more likely to experience perimenopause 
earlier. And so we should be getting DEXA scans to check our bone health and our bone density, or we should be being prescribed uh, maybe vitamins like calcium supplements, et cetera, to make sure that we are doing everything we can to offset any of the changes brought on by perimenopause. The other thing is, for example, that if a woman, a woman of color, maybe a Latina woman, a black woman is suffering more severe symptoms of perimenopause, a doctor may not take her seriously because they don't realize that women of color who are also subject to long-term trauma from racism, for example, might be experiencing much more severe symptoms than, you know, oh, it's a hot flash, you know, put some frozen peas on your face and you'll be fine. Um, Sometimes women, Black women and Latino women and other women who are dealing with lifelong poverty or lifelong racism, their symptoms might be so severe that they require more than, you know, a bag of peas or opening the freezer or turning the air on. So it's really important that the medical establishment does know these things. But again, they're not getting it in medical school. So we really have to be our own best vocal advocates and understand that we need to speak up and understand for ourselves how our racial and ethnic backgrounds may be different and may be affecting the way we experience menopause and perimenopause differently. And last but not least, one of the things that we should talk about in this case is that particularly racially and ethnically, there are studies that show that Asian American women, this is kind of a double whammy, but because culturally there is an understanding that perimenopausal symptoms are normal and a part of aging, that they may not speak up as much about their suffering if they are, in fact, suffering. And then the medical establishment may not take their issues as seriously. So there's all these different ways that race and ethnicity and cultural backgrounds are going to impact the way that the medical establishment sees us or doesn't see us and our unique experiences through perimenopause. So we really have to do things ourselves and again, be our own best advocates. So let's review. Let's just wrap it all up and put a bow on it. Okay. So In summation, we know that race and culture matter when talking about menopause. A person's racial and ethnic background, as well as their cultural heritage, is going to affect how they experience their menopause journey, as well as how they conceptualize it, and it may affect how they are treated by their healthcare provider. So it matters, right? Now, this is where my past life dovetails with my current role as the Oprah of menopause. I am realizing that menopause is a social justice issue because menopause requires treatment and evaluation through an intersectional lens. A woman's race, ethnicity, class, and culture all contribute to how she's going to pass through her 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond. And of course, with all things, as women, no matter what race or ethnic background you come from, white, black, Asian, Latina, Native, we have to be our own best advocates. We have to inform ourselves so we can inform our healthcare providers, our partners, our family members, our bosses at work. We have to support one another and we have to be kind to ourselves. This is going to be our biggest social justice issue as we hit midlife. 
Now, I said I was a diversity diva. I started out this whole lesson saying that diversity is going to save us all. And I really think that's true with menopause. Solutions and problem solving will come when diverse women share their stories and their unique solutions and their cultural perspectives on menopause. Because If we see that cultural influences can make the menopause journey worse, right? I mean, we can see the bad parts of how society and culture can impact our menopause journey. Can't the reverse be true? Can't we flip it around and make culture shifts to make menopause better? right? I mean, so much of what I just talked about is mindset, it's culture, it's diet, it's perception, So what if we did a flipperoonie and made the perception, made the culture, made our mindset about perimenopause and menopause positive? I wonder if we could change the outcomes of our perimenopausal and menopausal experiences for ourselves and for other women. I say we pull the good from cultures where aging is seen as a blessing I say we try to adopt some of the diets of countries where older women are thriving. I say we join together and support one another so we're not suffering alone and we create these women-centered, multicultural communities where we can recreate and reconceptualize what menopause can be. I don't know if it's going to work, but it's worth a try. What do you think? Don't you think it's worth a try? Let me know what your thoughts are. You can leave me a message on the My Bloody Hell Facebook page or on Instagram at my underscore bloody hell or on the My Bloody Hell blog. I really want to hear what you guys think about this. I want to hear what your takeaways are. I want to know if this lesson is going to make you think differently about menopause, about your cultural heritage, your race, your background, and what it's doing to impact your own perimenopause and menopausal journey. All right, class is over. The test is next week. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But I hope you enjoyed the lesson. Thank you so much for supporting this passion project of a podcast. If you enjoyed this lesson and this show today, if you learned something new, if it made you think about menopause a little bit differently, please tell someone that you learned something new today and where you learned it, and then tell them how they can find My Bloody Hell on their favorite podcast platform. Thank you. Now, be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss next week's fascinating episode when you're going to hear from a woman who is going through perimenopause with no Physical symptoms, no hot flashes, no night sweats, none of it. But she does have emotional and psychological symptoms. It's a good one. So make sure you subscribe or follow the show so you don't miss that episode or any other of our upcoming shows. One last thing before you go. Have you thought about joining the My Bloody Hell membership community, but you were not sure what it's really all about? especially after today's lesson talking about creating our own multicultural menopause communities. I mean, that's essentially what the My Bloody Hell membership community is. But again, I understand you're a little bit confused. I mean, your mama probably didn't join a menopause community, but your mama probably suffered through menopause in silence, and I don't want that for you. So the My Bloody Hell membership community, this is what you should know. It's an online resource 
Center, where you can go to get all the information, support, and community you need to get through your menopause journey without losing your damn mind. Seriously, you know that's sometimes happening, right? Where you're just feeling like, I need help. We have monthly support group meetings, monthly meetings with medical and wellness professionals who are literally there to answer all of your questions and to offer advice and knowledge to help make your menopause journey a little less awful. And we have creative workshops that you can take to take your mind off the badness. There's just a small monthly fee of $10 a month, and you can take advantage of as many or as few events or resources that you need. This Friday, for example, on November 13th, we have the Menopositive Doctors coming to speak to our members to share all about naturopathic and traditional methods to combat our most bothersome menopause symptoms. If you join today, you could make it to that meeting and ask all your questions. There's no obligation to stay in the community if you're not getting everything you want out of it. So why don't you give it a try and see if you don't feel a little bit better about your menopause journey? I'll see you inside. You can find out more about the My Bloody Hell membership community by going to mybloodyhell.com backslash membership. Okay, that is all I have to share this week, beautiful people. I will be here next Wednesday, and I hope you will too. Until then, be good to yourselves. Get some snacks from Yum Day and maybe take a walk. The My Bloody Hell podcast is produced by me, Lori L. Tharps. Our editor and technical director is Brad Linder. Our theme music was composed by Good Bee Music. And hey, one last thing. I am not a doctor nor any type of medical professional. Therefore, do not use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for verifiable medical advice and information. Always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have any medical questions or concerns regarding menopause or any other health-related issue. Thank you.